from Relay FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode 50. What? 50. Recorded August the 10th, 2023. I am Master of Ceremonies, Jason Snell. And with me, as always, our Director of Strategy, Julia Alexander. Hi, Julia. Happy 50. Hi, Jason. Happy 50. Wow. Hard to believe. 50 episodes. I mean, technically, I think it just means we've been doing it for two years, but still, 50 episodes. (laughs) That's nothing to sneeze I think, at. Listen, people have been listening to us for either two years or 50 episodes. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's uh, it's good to good to still be here. We have a lot to talk about. Um, Just a reminder, if you're not a Downstream Plus subscriber yet, this will be a truncated episode with an ad in it. Go to Downstream.plus to subscribe and get all the episodes full length with no ads. Downstream.plus. All right. How about for a first topic, we talk about... Disney, and this just came out, I think, yesterday as we're recording this, uh, that Disney, you know, Disney has altered the deal. Pray that it doesn't alter it further with the Darth Vader line, uh, because it's uh, (laughs) upping the cost of all of its... Uh, all of its services, all of its uh, Disney, the the Disney Plus and Hulu and ESPN, changing them all around, changing the bundles. Disney Plus Premium rising to thirteen ninety nine, so double what it was when it started. Hulu without ads up to seventeen ninety nine. There's an ad free bundle though that is only nineteen ninety nine, so they really want you in that bundle. And then ad supported uh, fees remain the same, seven ninety nine each, or you can get them both again for a deal nine ninety nine because they really like the bundle what do you think about about how bob Iger is repricing and uh you know the standalones and the bundles and the ad free versus the ad supported yeah i mean it's so obviously as we as consumers are not happy with this uh we as consumers who have had it i don't want to say we've had it very good for very long but uh we did have an insane amount of um tv shows and films and specials available to us on platforms like netflix for relatively cheap for so long that i'm remembering cable in many ways like i'm remembering pay tv and being like oh right there was a reason it was like 300 dollars uh to, to have here are my three kind of main takeaways and i'm interested in your thoughts on it jason one Is that I do agree with what Iger said on the call, which is that when they launched Disney Plus, a big part of what they were doing was trying to just scale as fast as they possibly could. And so they priced it lower than they probably should have priced it. But also, that's one of the good ways of trying to experiment and understand what your consumer base is willing to pay. And so I think with the education now on that front, they're able to say we can increase our prices. But along with that education comes two very important points that I think speaks to Disney's problems and advantages as a whole. On the one side of the equation, on the advantage side, I think the fact that they're able to look at what the price increases have done already for them globally with almost minimal churn uh, to to their overall Disney Plus subscriber base in key territories, I want to use that expression because we're going to come back to it in in, in a minute, Um, in key territories, is probably making them feel really good about it. The idea that they can continue upping the price and they're not going to lose the family component. They're not going to lose the kind of core Star Wars and Marvel fans component. They can increase those prices and they can start monetizing per customer better. So we talk about that average revenue per user. That's going to be a great way for them to kind of overnight really increase the amount of money that they're making on the user base they already have. So you have to remember Disney 
is has a problem with scaling. And we're going to get to that in just a moment because let's cut under problems, but they don't have a problem with that retention. And so it's really, really ensuring that they can monetize those customers that they do have to the best of their ability. I want to say in key regions, because somebody pointed this out on Twitter yesterday and I get where they're coming from. They're not wrong, but I vehemently disagree with it. I said on Twitter that there was minimal churn that Disney was seeing kind of with the price increases. And they pointed out they lost in this quarter alone, they lost like 11 million subscribers in India. India is a market where the average revenue per user is less than 50 cents. Um, the amount of customers that they're actively losing does not have a material impact on the revenue that they're bringing in. If this was five years ago and the pure goal was to have the most number of subscribers, this would be a bit of a concern for them. But in 2023, when the pure goal is revenue and profitability, losing customers in a, in a, in a country and within a base that you're already exploring, potentially leaving or finding strategic partners to kind of figure out what, what that can be um, is not a loss for them. It, it, and it made me think of all the people who said a couple of years ago that you couldn't count Disney Plus's immense subscriber growth because half of it came from um, Hotstar in India and that were, they weren't making any money off those customers. You then cannot say, right, like, oh, well, they lose, they're losing all these customers. It's the same customer base. And so it's kind of this big asterisk. Um, and on the problem front, then, Jason, I want to get your opinion on this. On the problem front, for me, I think... They, with Disney Plus in the U.S., sits at about 43 million subscribers, right? That's about 30 million less than what um, Netflix has. And what's really concerning is that we haven't seen any increase on the U the United States and Canada front from, from subscribers. And more importantly, we haven't seen Disney make any form of ripple effect with its original content outside of Marvel and Star Wars. And we also know that those audiences are likely contracting slightly, um, as in they're still a steady base. They're still meaningful. I, I would uh, equate it to kind of the 55 million pay TV households that really love sports, right? Like it's a good stable base. It's a good thing to have, but that it's not going up. And so if you're going to scale your audience and you can't really do it outside of franchise, you have to refocus on franchise, which is what they're doing build new franchise, easier said than done. And if you can't scale, you have to monetize off the customers that you already have. And so this is kind of, um, you know, if I think about how subscription news services work in a lot of ways, right? The idea of like a Bloomberg can charge $500 per customer. The idea is they're not going to have this, or, or, or bad example, but like the journal or Bloomberg are not going to have the same audience per se, uh, subscriber wise as the New York Times, for example, but they can charge more per those customers because they're not just general news. They are a very specific type of news. And so you're appealing to a certain type of crowd. Um, Puck, obviously, kind of similar idea. And so I think the pricing power that Disney is showing is going to be a crucial story for them going forward as they worry less about scaling to the size that Netflix is. Yeah, it's um, I'm fascinated. The So the story that fascinates me here in their in their pricing is their reliance on these bundles. That, I mean, you have been saying for a long time now, like, the deal is the bundle. The deal is the bundle. And the bundle is such a deal now that it start, it, it it would not be hard for them to go from this to basically sweeping Hulu inside of Disney Plus mm -hmm. because the price difference is, you know, for the ad free, it's 30 or 20. Um, so you're, you know, you're saving, uh, uh, what is that? You're saving a third and the ad supported it's two dollars to go from one to both um again a it's a really good deal so i i think their commitment to those bundles is interesting there is an espn bundle as well it's basically five dollars on top if you want espn plus 
Um, so I, I think that's it makes me wonder about like their strategy going forward with Hulu, the classic 50 episodes worth uh, question that's still not answered. I think you are totally right about their content and this challenge that they've got that outside of Marvel and Star Wars, what is Disney plus bringing to the table? Mm-hmm. It's got a catalog and catalogs are great, but what, what is it bringing to, uh, to increase the number of subscribers and help against churn? And, you know, I think about Hulu. Yeah. We watch so much on Hulu. I was thinking about this. Only Murders in the Building came back. We're going through Reservation Dogs. Um, my wife loves Justified, and the Justified mm-hmm. uh, sequel is on Hulu now. Like, I think we have like four things we're watching on Hulu right now. And on Disney Plus, I never open that app unless either uh, there's a Star Wars show or a Marvel show or one of their movies just dropped. So we we opened it recently to watch Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 because that came to Disney Plus last week. And I, I, there's lots of good stuff on Disney Plus, but wow, unless I'm in the mood to like go back and watch an old Marvel movie, which I am sometimes, like it's pretty slim pickings when all you've got is, oh, here's, a, you know, Ahsoka is coming later this month. Well, that's great. That'll be a weekly appointment. And whatever the next Marvel thing is, that'll be a weekly appointment. But like, that's one show at a time. Yeah. And is that, that plus the catalog enough for Disney? Now you throw in how incredibly productive, especially the FX material is with Hulu. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it feels like you gotta, you got something. But if you, if you try to hold them in your mind separately, you know, the Disney stuff is just so reliant on, you know, movies coming out of the theater and Marvel and Star Wars TV. And that's about it. And it's not, you know, it doesn't it, it, it's got I don't know, it's got value, but it's like it, it's nothing in terms of the volume of content that I've been getting on Hulu. It, what's really interesting about Hulu, too, because I agree with you, I there's been a, over the last I would say three, four months, there's been this really great, uh, I would say, theft in many ways or or, or in or in other ways, bringing home of really strong comedies to Hulu, like all of the Modern Family, New Girl, Arrested Development, like they're all on Hulu. And so I've been spending a lot of time there. Um, I also have favorite shows on there from uh, Freeform, which is Disney's kind of teen channel yeah. or tween channel called Cruel Summer, binge that the other day. And what's really interesting to me about Hulu is that it's audience size, similar like Disney Plus, right? It, it is it is definitely nowhere near the size of Netflix, which is sitting at about, I think it's about 74 million, maybe 75 million subscribers domestically at this point. I, I can't recall from the most recent earnings, but it's not like it's 20 million. And yet these Hulu shows rarely show up on the kind of Nielsen top 10. The Hulu shows don't have the same power as the franchise material of Disney Plus. That totally makes sense. But as a general entertainment competitor to Netflix, I think there's still this combination of first mover advantage and overall kind of audience perception of a Netflix original that Netflix has going for it that Hulu really still struggles with. Like if I were to name an actual hit from Hulu in 2023. So not just shows, you and I, Jason, watch a lot of shows, not just shows yeah. that we really like. I think Only Murders in the Building, absolutely. I think The Bear, absolutely, yep. FX show, but on Hulu. Um, it gets really hard for me to like name a Hulu show that, that is a, a certified hit in the way that I don't watch Ginny and Georgia by any means. It's not my type of show, but I know it's a massive hit for Netflix. And I could name 
10 other shows that I don't watch on Netflix that I know are really big hits culturally and, and in terms of viewership, in terms of um, uh, acquiring that new customer base, retaining a customer base, um, pure engagement for the advertising tier. All the kind of points that these streaming services point to as clear objectives or you know clear uh, uh, key performance indicators for a successful title. Netflix, I can list a bunch of them and they have their ones that don't work. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Netflix only makes hits. And this is in part, but probably a quantity game where Netflix also releases the most. But if you're Hulu, and just to get to your point about the bundle, if you're Disney and your Hulu is basically your Netflix competitor in many ways, it is this idea of like, we want you to spend more time with us away from, to, to your exact point, Jason, away from the She-Hulk or whatever, or Andor, whatever the big show is of the quarter on Disney+. Plus. We also want to keep you engaged. HBO Max did this by, you know, really bringing in a lot of that general entertainment programming that sits on top of HBO mm-hmm. or below HBO, however you want to think about it. Netflix operates as, as one whole thing. And so Disney, you know, kind of combining Disney Plus and Hulu, whether as a bundle, like literally whether as paying $20 for it within one app, whatever it is, the way that you think about it, is this kind of competitor to Netflix. Because they're, let me tell you, they're, from all the data sources that I can see, I have no internal data on this from, from Disney. Let me be very clear. I'm looking at all the data sources I use, you know, from Parrot to Nielsen to, to other, to Antenna, to all these other ones, um, to Samba. None of the Disney Plus original programming is, is uh, that I should say, targeted towards kind of a teenage adult audience, which is very key here, is performing. The kids' movies, the Pixar movies perform exceptionally well on Disney+. Plus. I'm sure kids' programming does do well. Bluey is like one of the only other titles that's an acquired title for Disney+. Plus. But Hulu is where you expect to see more of those general entertainment programming uh, hits really pop, and it's just not happening. And if I was Disney, I would be concerned about raising prices, pushing people towards the Hulu Disney Plus bundle, and then really thinking, and they have data that shows, obviously, churn is not as big of an issue. Churn within the bundle, as we know, is the lowest within the industry. But Hulu, when it gets more expensive and as the bundle gets more expensive, really becomes a proposition question that's hard to answer. Like the idea that Hulu without ads by itself is now $18, I believe, which puts it at 250 higher than uh, Netflix's uh, a standard tier. And it puts it at uh, $2 higher than HBO Max's tier, like ad free tier is kind of insane because I bet most people could point to HBO hits or whatever or Warner Brothers movies, right, that they really love. And they're like, that's there. Netflix is Netflix. The idea that Hulu is now one of the most expensive offerings for streaming services, which, again, to Jason's point, pushes people towards the bundle, is really kind of difficult for me to comprehend from a value proposition willingness to pay perspective. So let me let me push. I'm not push back. I don't know. Um, Okay. $17.99 1799 for Hulu at premium. I get it. 1999 yeah. for the bundle. And this is I Agreed. think I think so we've been arguing that one of the clever things that Disney has sort of inherited is this incremental revenue from having two services that they bundle together. However, I would argue that at $20, Disney Plus Hulu is actually a great deal. And I I wonder if one of the reasons that Hulu stuff doesn't show up on people's radar is one, some of it is also running on linear on FX, and two, mm-hmm. that it's part of this cockamamie bundle where people mm-hmm. are viewing Hulu as sort of an adjunct to Disney Plus 
Plus, when in fact Hulu's got way more content on it than Disney Plus does. That I, I mean, I, you, we we listed some shows, but I like I could go on. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, my wife right. is watching the great Futurama came back for the 90th time. Bob's Burgers, Welcome to Wrexham, which is excellent, right? All the ABC content that's on there. All uh, the stuff Modern I Family, love. Abbott yeah. Elementary, all of that stuff is on yeah. there. There's so much great material on Hulu that I, I keep thinking, well, if Hulu and Disney Plus were actually a thing like Max is, like Netflix is, I think it's competitive. And I wonder if one of the reasons that the Hulu stuff isn't as discovered is because it is because it's on Hulu and Hulu is not always part of the conversation. It's got a perception of what it used to be versus what it is. And I wonder um, if, if it was just on one service that was Disney plus essentially uh, in the U S and I know it is in the rest of the world, but in the U S this is where we are. If it would, if it would do better, because I don't think they're lacking for quality programming. I think the challenge is the brand and the confusion about the bundle. And, um, and I wonder if the way forward, the right way forward really is just to, to, to slam it into Disney plus, because I think it makes more sense as a unit. Cause then the Marvel and star Wars stuff is playing next to all those comedies and the, uh, the stuff like the bear and the other great FX stuff, what we do in the shadows, another FX thing that I love, right? Like they're all in there, but um, but as it is, it's yeah, like, then you're... who's over there? Oh, that's on Hulu? I didn't even realize it. And I, yeah. all of a sudden, I'm watching five shows on Hulu, and yet I'm not even thinking about Hulu as a brand name. Yeah, that's that, that's a really good point. I think that's where the Marvel as event TV, right? Marvel as HBO kind of comes into play, where you need one big hit a quarter. Marvel plays into that. That fan base is there. Yeah. That base isn't really expanding, but it's a good base. And I think something that we, we didn't touch upon, but I think you got to in your last... Um, a sentence there, Jason, which is really important too, is this idea that for some people, let's say for for the current, let's say hypothetically, say fifteen to twenty million people are paying for Hulu by itself, right? Let's say another part, a big part of it's the bundle, whatever it is. If those fifteen to twenty million people are like, this is my service, like for all the reasons Jason just listed, all the shows that this is the, the one that I'm I'm good with. If those customers are willing to pay. $18, by the way, just for Hulu. They really don't want Disney Plus, although it makes no sense. But they really don't want sense, it. No. It doesn't make any sense, but they don't want it. The ARPU that you're going to make on those customers is exceptionally high. Like it's, ex- right. and, and then Hulu ad supported, that ARPU is even higher. Mm-hmm. So then if you push people towards the bundle, this idea of, but you have all of the other options kind of available, right? You're going to be able to kind of triple down all these different ARPUs uh, out there. Then the question then becomes, but what is the cost of maintaining those platforms? What I do know right. from, um, uh, I should say this was not given to by anyone at Disney. This is just like from industry uh, conversations. I do know that being able to kind of sell the Hulu ad inventory and the Disney Plus ad inventory really is beneficial for Disney across the board. Mm-hmm. Like that Hulu ad inventory is kind of constantly at the top. It's, it's, it's people really love being on Hulu. They have for a very long time. And so I imagine keeping that, somewhat separate from the disney plus and having and having less advertising inventory to kind of put out there what as opposed to like here's what one whole app here's another whole app versus taking some titles right this is the other thing i said on the call it's like some titles from hulu and disney plus are going to kind of merge in this one app and they're the whole thing sounds complicated we'll get more details in the next little bit uh because who knows what that looks like but the idea that you're now going to try to effectively monetize every single customer across the board that you already have. So you're going to double up on the hardcore Hulu people. You're going to double up on the hardcore Disney Plus people. And then you're going to push them 
towards either an ad-supported or an ad-free bundle that is going to help reduce your churn and generate stronger uh, ARPU on the customers that may have canceled anyways, then being able to sell ads at a, at a higher inventory, what, or sorry, at a higher price, whatever it might be, now you're effectively monetizing each title in each, in each customer at a way that I don't think Disney was doing beforehand. I don't think anyone would argue Disney was doing it beforehand. I do think, I agree with you, I think there's still a concern. My concern with Hulu has always been, and Jason and I, I think, share this concern as people who really love Hulu. It's so undifferentiated outside a lot of the library content. And if you, and so a lot of the ABC, FX, Fox stuff is great. Like that alone mm-hmm. is like, this is, for me, it's worth having. But once you start losing a lot of the NBC Universal, the Paramount, some of the WBD stuff, if that happens, right? A lot of these companies are looking to license this and you might say, we want to license some of these shows. It doesn't matter to us. But if that were to happen, the value of Hulu without those kind of really big breakout hits, the way that Netflix kind of has it, becomes a, a, a big question. I mean- all of this is like you could run a hundred thousand different scenarios hmm. through Excel, right? Like you sure. could you could try and figure this out and see where your exact break even and then profitability standpoint is in terms of what margin you want to operate at. Let's say you want to try to get back to twenty five percent profit margins because you're trying to replicate paid TV. Good luck. Uh, you know you're trying to get there. You could do all these different things. I think Disney very smartly and very acutely realized. They cannot compete with a Netflix and the general entertainment side. Like, they're, they're not going to. And what they can do is really double down on the value of Disney. And so this idea that it's still the biggest and most loved entertainment company in the world and double down on franchise. My bigger concern, this is a question I have for you, Jason. Bob Iger at the beginning of his call was laying out in all these things. And he said, one thing that the one, one of the biggest things we have going for us, one of our three pillars by the way, Disney's had more pillars and reinvented pillars over the last five years than any other company I can think of. But one of their pillars is is franchise. And this idea of we have these franchises, we, we really need to lean into franchise. My concern is that it's really hard to build franchises and both their franchises that they're talking about. And then if you include Pixar as well, kind of stagnant. Bob Iger yeah. got defensive. He said, you know, we're doing well at the box office. We've had some misses, but we're doing well. But in terms of that, like, gusto they don't really have that but is that a fair concern yeah. jason or what do you think i think so where where's the next one is what i would say the problem with it is it's it's like not to use a sports metaphor here but it's like signing an expensive th- free agent that's what you did with marvel and star wars and pixar you bought them all and they're all great and yeah they may be at their peak or past their peak or they may i i would say they still are going to be providing value for years to come but you're not necessarily going to have it. You, you can't necessarily build your whole business on it. And you can't necessarily build growth on it. And I would say that I'm concerned if I'm a Disney stockholder, maybe, or a Disney watcher anyway, that I don't see what engine is being built to generate right. more of that. Whether right. it's, I mean, and I'm not saying like within Star Wars or within Pixar, but I'm saying like, what's next? And they don't, Disney has these engines of of brands i mean pixar is a little bit different but they're they're similar in this way um where they are they are generating these individual products but like what's disney's general development thing and the answer is right. it's other than like the animation studios which are are very different 
I don't, I just don't see it. And that's why when I look over at Hulu, I'm like, well, here's the problem is you've sectioned your company up in such a weird way that you don't seem to have, like, you've got the crown jewels over here. And then you've got this other thing that's got a different label on it. That is probably like John Landgraf is probably one of the sources of franchisable TV material. And, and then, you know, I don't know what they're doing on the studio side. I'm sure that there's something going on there, but like, where are the new ideas coming from that can lead to a breakout hit and i i just you know in disney internal i i haven't seen it so it's like marvel having marvel and star wars is great but like where does the next one of those come from is the only way you get that by buying something else after it's hit it big because you're probably not going to do that again again yeah, and my thinking on this to, to add on top of everything you're saying is we often or I should say i often think that you know, Star Wars, Marvel are problems that any other company would kill to have. Like they like like Sony or WBD or Netflix sure. would love to figure out Star Wars or Marvel. Sure. But at the same time, franchises and IP that people really love come and go. Right. Like they have peaks and valleys and yeah. it doesn't mean that they completely die out. And I think what worries me a little bit about Marvel and Star Wars, because they're in the same capacity as that. Is that Harry Potter, however, from a media side, has also become take it or leave it, right? There is this idea that if they never made more Harry Potter, I don't think anyone would be super upset because you find things to kind of replace that that hole. There's like, okay, I really want a, a big fantasy epic and it's not going to replace Harry Potter per se, but it's going to do its job. And like, I'll go back to Harry Potter, I might watch these movies, but I'm moving on to this new thing, which then exasperates the uh, merchandise selling and 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 all these other things that you can kind of do right but but i think when when i look at the three of them there are aspects of like eh, we've have so much now that building a franchise requires being able to use different mediums and different storytelling capabilities and apply and appeal to different audiences and kind of consistently come out and generate that strong demand. That's what we saw happen with the MCU. It's what we see happen with video game franchises often like, like, like Zelda and Mario. And so this idea that Marvel is kind of on this downward trend, not necessarily at the box office, because everyone always likes to come back and hit at that, not necessarily at the box office, but in terms of overall audience sentiment, right? The cinema scores are down. Yeah. These shows are not doing as well as they could be doing. Star Wars has been without a movie for how long yeah. now? 2019? Yeah. They may right? bounce, They may yet bounce back. It can be cyclical, but but right now they're in a slack time for sure. And that's my, and so I think there's opportunities for other, and this has been true since the dawn of time, right? Like there's opportunities for other stories to come up and other characters and other worlds and people capitalize on that. And so my concern with Kevin Feige, who's overworked, and Kathleen Kennedy, who I think needs a lot of help from Filoni and Favreau, not saying she's a bad executive, but I think needs a lot of help on the creative front, is that they're overworked and they're stretched thin and they had this directive to go and do stuff with the TV series that Disney is now kind of pulling back on. And what that confusion amongst the franchise does you can see play out with the dc universe you can see play out with like the harry potter fantastic beast movies you can see play out with the hobbit like it's just there's this aspect to it where it's like people really love those older films they love the books they love the comics they love the characters so there's always gonna be that form of adoration but to continue operating at the level you want to operate at you need to operate at if you're going to make these franchises you're one of your core three pillars is like this thing we're gonna do and not having a 
uh, at least a, a plan that I can tell. And obviously, neither Jason and I are inside the, the mouse house, but like not having a strong plan to continue at the level that you need to continue at with new at the at the moment of new fandom kind of coming in, like a new audience group coming in is, is concerning. And I think it's 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 a it's an aspect of, of Disney's business where I think they're almost in a rebuild era. They're rethinking their strategy right. amongst everything they own. They're rebuilding their company. And that includes these two big franchises. I have a wacky idea for you. And this this goes back to what we're saying here about sort of like, what does Disney have? I appreciate that Disney has these tent poles, And like you said, everybody would kill to have the problems that Disney has with Star Wars and Marvel because they've also they are incredibly valuable intellectual properties that people love and spend a lot of money on. I get all that. But I'll say this. We have watched amazon spend a lot of money on lord of the rings and yeah. warner brothers discovery spent a lot of money on game of thrones and yeah. and both of those are you know acquired ip but also related to previous things that were huge hits in movies or tv i get all of that but just as a a thought just a thought exercise what is what new streaming tv property is Disney spending a lot of money to develop that could be the next mm-hmm. big hit? They don't do it. All that money's going yep. into Star Wars and Marvel, and that's okay. But when you are in a slack time for your your big franchises, it does highlight that you don't seem to have another content engine where you're placing bets for what could become the next tile to go next to Star Wars and Marvel. And that and and I would say even within Pixar and Disney Animation, I'm not sure they're actually doing that. You may end up with a Frozen or something like that, right? Where you're like, oh, this is going to make a lot of money for a long time. But like, in terms of like a streaming series, uh, they put all their money to Marvel and and, uh, Star Wars and that's fine. But like, I kind of think they need to have some other group, whether that is something on the Hulu side or whatever, spending uh, time trying to build the next big franchise, whatever it is. And they're not, as far as I can tell, doing anything like that. I mean, I'd love the, the, uh, you know, the letter Kenny connected universe or yeah. the, or the, you know, what, what, which would be connected to reservation dogs. Cause they're those shows. If you haven't seen them both weirdly different and yet weirdly similar anyway. So good. I, I also wanted to throw this out there for you, which is, I don't, I don't want to make a prediction, but I look at the price of those bundles and I think I think Bob Iger is positioning them for a world where you just take away the bundle and there's one service. I look at that $10 a yeah. month for both and $8 a month for one and think all you have to do is slip a switch and now it's a single price, $10 a month, and you get all the content that's currently on Disney Plus and Hulu, and that's not an unreasonable price. If you look at $20 for ad-free for the same thing, that's a bigger price jump for people who are Disney Plus only. So there's a little bit of a, a, a jump there, but I would also say I could see a scenario where for $13.99, you get Disney Plus without ads and you get all the Hulu content with ads, and they still do it, right? I, I mean, I can I think that he's not that he's decided necessarily, but I think they're very well positioned for a move that would allow them to merge Hulu into Disney Plus. Uh, as it is, in, again, in the rest of the world and just walk away because these prices now, the, the, the difference between an, a standalone price and the bundle price are almost non-existent. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Two things on that. One, I uh, I, I love everything you said. The first thing I just want to say on your point about the streaming franchise, which I think is 
spot on. I had this line in a, a recent puck piece I wrote about suits having this moment on Netflix. Right. And I said, it's the unfortunate, but rea- the unfortunate, but true reality is that it's much easier for Netflix to license a suit than it is for NBC Universal to make a Stranger Things. And I think it's like yeah. that aspect hits Disney too, right? All these companies, they have the catalog they can license out, but they're all having troubles really creating big French. I mean, the only company, the only media company that has created tangible, successful, by pure definition of the term franchise, because we throw it around a lot, but pure definition is NBC Universal. And they've done it in partnership with Illumination, the, the Minions, the, the Mario stuff, obviously partnered with Nintendo, but now bringing it to the theme parks. Like there's a, they're creating worlds in which are going to be able to be established across all these different um, media distribution platforms that they have, as well as the parks, as well as the, the, the theaters, whatever it may be. Disney hasn't really had that. Netflix has a couple, but really it's like Stranger Things, it's Bridgerton, right? Like we'll see what they kind of do elsewhere. But I think to your point, like Hulu not having that hit or Disney and did, and they're trying, right? It's not like they're, they're not trying. It's just really hard to do. If it was easy to make IP, I say this to everyone, we'd sure. all be millionaires and it wouldn't really matter. Yeah. It's really difficult. And so there's, and the bidding wars for those types of things in particular are going to continue going up. And that's where a lot of these tech guys like Amazon and Apple have the advantage. But as you've just pointed out, doesn't mean that people are going to be super interested in it. Lord of the Rings was like whatever on Amazon, even though they spent $500 million so, on it. And we, in one of our first episodes, we talked about the problem with building franchises. Look, if franchises were easy to build, everybody would have them. They're not easy to build. There's luck involved. And also you have to just keep trying. And yeah. that's my argument for Disney slash Hulu right now is if that's a thing you want to want to keep doing and keeping keep growing and keep being ses- successful at, you do have to try. And, you know, yeah, Amazon has spent a lot of money on Lord of the Rings and it's kind of, you know, not gone anywhere. And, and you know, it's it's OK. But like and then uh, you look at what Warner did with uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, it, it did better. But like but you got to you can't you can't win if you don't play. Right. That's the challenge is are you are you trying to do this or is Disney content to just plow their money back into Marvel and Star Wars and have that be it? I'm not sure whether that's wise uh because you get in if they're weak then you're really in trouble yeah i i totally agree and i just really quickly on the pricing point i just wanted to add about the bundles yeah i think what they're going to continue i would not be surprised if disney plus by itself ended up being 17 18 dollars and then the bundle with hulu was slightly cheaper and the idea is like again if they have something that's cheaper and a better perceived value thing people will go to it right I want Disney, but it's getting a little expensive. But oh, if it's $2 less if I get Hulu and I get Hulu with it. And then it's like, great, we can target you on multiple different shows, multiple different films with the advertising side. Or we have this level of on the non-ad side that is actually a level of average revenue preview that we're really happy with. And for the small percentage, and it might be a small percentage of the of the, of the, the customers who are like, no, I just want the standalone. I don't really care. I make a billion dollars a year, whatever. I'm just going to get this. I think putting everything into one app, which which they should do. I think there. I think there's an idea of. I go back and forth on this. I think one app should exist, but the 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 access to it should kind of look like something that Disney's already thinking about, which is this idea of like you want access to both Disney Plus and Hulu. You should pay for the bundle, and then everything should be in one app. Right. You should be like, here's the app. You go in, everything's there. Yep. And so maintaining, you know, then three different street platforms, the cost of that might be 
not necessarily worth it. It's all going to be dependent on, well, how many customers do you have on the other two? I mean, the great example is, is Discover, Discovery Plus and Max, right? If Discovery right. Plus lost 5 million customers to Max, but they actually still maintain 18 million customers that are willing to pay for Discovery Plus, you're not going to just close it. Yeah, just you're like, them, well, okay, we're making it. less on them, yeah. but let them have it. And I think, and and you can put ads on that. And I think that's where I see Hulu and Disney Plus and, and Disney Plus the bundle being. But the bundle, I agree with you. I think will always be a little bit cheaper because you can push people to it. They're in a unified app. It's like a better thing for Disney. But if, if and again, this is like, at some point, this is like, there has to be a threshold. If the, this amount of people are still using those apps by themselves, we'll keep those apps. If it b- drops below, you know, it's it's less than 4 million, 5 million, 6 million people that are on that one app. We'll push them all. We'll get rid of it and we'll push them all into here because we can sell more ads on here because the reach, whatever it might be, the cost of maintaining this is too much. But I think you're really going to see that continued experimentation to see where they can make the most off each customer from an ad basis, a subscription basis, um, and a per title basis. All right, let's take a break and tell you about our sponsor. We do have a sponsor this week. This episode is brought to you by Call Sheet. It's a new iOS app that answers your questions about TV shows, movies, cast or crew, and a clean interface without spoilers and other stuff you don't want to see. Um, this is the classic, hey, it's that guy moment, right? And this is the thing where I always used IMDb for this, right? Like it's, it's oh, where do I know that person? They're in this episode of this TV show. And I look it up and I'm like, oh, it's always a British actor. It's like, oh, they're in 90 British things. I know that now. I recognize this person. Call Sheet does that. And it does it in a way that maybe some of those other websites and apps don't do because they're, they're, they're junky. They're full of ads. They've redone their interface. Things are hidden. You got to figure out how to show them. You, you know, we've all been there. Um, I, my understanding is people who work in the entertainment industry too love to look at themselves in these, which is hilarious. Like what, 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 what's my data? What are my credits in there too? Um, I use this to look up just, uh, last night we were watching, oh, what were we watching? It was something on Hulu, probably, uh, reservation dogs. And there was somebody I was like, who is that? And then you tap, I, I looked at the episode of reservation dogs, tapped on the actor, got their, uh, list of credits. And I was like, Oh, they were in this other thing that I watched that was on, you know, on a different channel a couple of years ago. It's that sort of thing. But, um, call sheet brings all that to you. It's doesn't have ads. It's not junky. It's also got a bunch of extra features. We talked here about just watch as a source for like finding something and wondering like, where is that movie? How do I find that movie on streaming? You can set it up so that in one tap, it'll bring up a just watch, uh, just watch sourced interface that shows you what streaming services it's on, or you can have a tap to IMDB trivia. If you want to do that, like there's so much Wikipedia biographies of the actors, like all this stuff is all wrapped into call sheet um, it's fast it's ad free it respects its users it's written by one guy my pal casey uh he couldn't find an app to do this so he built it himself uh so i i definitely recommend it even though yes i know the developer uh but like it's a good app and the great thing about it is it, if you want to use it in the long term it's a subscription app but it gives you a lot of time a bunch of searches you can make before it even starts bugging you about the subscription so you will know by the time it asks you to subscribe you'll know whether it's for you or not and whether this should replace some other mechanism that you use on your iphone to check for this stuff here's what you do go to call sheet app.com slash downstream to learn more and download it today your first 20 searches are free and of course when you subscribe you also get a free week after that so you'll know 
if it's worth it to you. And I think it will be. Um, so if you spend any time watching movies or TV shows, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. Go to callsheetapp.com slash downstream. Thank you to Casey and Callsheet for supporting Downstream. Before Jason introduces or talks about the next section, yes. I need to introduce it. Okay. I'm not going to say what the topic is. I just need to read to our listeners what it says in the document. All it says, and then I'll let Jason introduce the topic, is sigh, comma, Jason's got this. So Jason, yep. please let our listeners know about this topic. Uh, this is the sad sports corner portion. Uh, really quickly, because this, this episode has gone really long, but I want to share this with you. So um, the last available Power 5 college football package, so the last chance Apple has to take a bite out of America's most popular sport, uh, was the Pac-12 conference. And there's a whole story here. The, the long and short of it is that by the end of the negotiations, the Pac-12 conference had collapsed and will probably dissolve. So it didn't go well. Uh, my favorite uh, football team uh, from childhood, uh, University of California, uh, is one of the schools left holding the bag with nothing to show for it. And is, as I think I've said on a couple of podcasts, in a cardboard box by the side of the road. It's very sad for me personally. However, I just wanted to mention this in passing because... I think Apple's negotiations with the Pac-12 conference are interesting when we're plotting Apple, what Apple will and won't do for sports rights. And so the quick version of it is, you know, generally sports rights are you write us a big check. That's how that works. But Apple doesn't seem to want to do that. So what Apple has done with the MLS is they have a deal where they're like partners with MLS and MLS gets a, a cut of, of a, at some point of success of the product. When the, the product is more successful, MLS gets more money. The MLS is producing it for Apple. They resold some of it to Linear. Like it's a whole kind of partnership. So the Pac-12... Uh, talk to Apple and and they had their linear deal fall apart, but the Apple deal came mm -hmm. through and the Apple deal was essentially $23 million per school per year, plus a, uh, an escalator clause based on how many subscriptions that they could sell to the PAC 12 streaming product that would have the games, uh, all the games, uh, including presumably the stuff that they might resell to linear. So for a hundred bucks, if you're a Cal fan or a, a Oregon Ducks fan or whatever, you get all the games. And it's not just the football games, you get all the basketball games and all the volleyball games and whatever else. It's like a complete package. And the idea was that if they can sell, I forget what, 5 million of those, the schools will basically be getting like 35, $40 million per school. It'll be a very, very lucrative deal. But if they don't do well, they're going to not have very much, 23 million. And uh, it turns out that Apple is not willing, even though they've got all the money in the bank, uh, they're not willing to go into these deals without feeling like it's a partnership, which is probably why that long discussion they had with the NFL about Sunday ticket fell apart because Apple just doesn't see the world that way. And so in the case of the Pac-12, the way I've been telling the story, I think Apple actually was successful. Um, there was a moment when there were three schools ready to leave the conference and go to a different conference because um, a, a conference, they're negotiating with essentially a league, which is 12, 10 nine it kept changing right. number of teams um and apple sweetened the deal and upped their uh their guarantee to 25 million per school per year plus the escalator is all still built in there where if you're if we are successful together we all make more money um and the three schools on the fence um got the counter offer from apple and said you know what we're ready to sign we'll do it and they were going to stay um which led 
to a moment where a couple of the teams that had the highest value in the league said, we're still skeptical of the idea that we're going to have to hold a bake sale, <laughs> one of them said, and and sell this thing. They didn't want to be a partner. They wanted just to be paid. And uh, so they went to a competitor, another league, and said, can you beat this and give us guaranteed money? And that was the Big Ten who turned around to their TV partner, who is Fox, and said, you got money for these guys? And Fox was like, Will this kill that? Will this kill the Pac-12? Well, then, yes, we do have that money. And they wrote the checks uh, and got Oregon and Washington out of the Pac-12 and the deal fell apart from a downstream perspective. Again, from a Cal fan perspective, I am devastated from a downstream perspective. I think it's interesting because it just shows, as I as I said a moment ago, Apple doesn't think like other uh entertainment companies in terms of buying live sports rights but i wonder if maybe apple thinks like they're all gonna think eventually uh maybe apple will learn the lesson that that they will just they're gonna turn people off with making uh these offers where like we need to be partners together uh and maybe that's just how tech thinks and how sports doesn't think and they're incompatible but i don't know part of me thinks i think I think they'll. I think Apple is creating something I, I think that so. they will eventually fall. And the into. president of Arizona State University described it hilariously as something like a Star Trek uh, thing that Apple was offering. But he was very impressed by it. But like, I think as silly as that quote was, I think he's not wrong that Apple Agreed. coming in and saying we're going to build a whole product and it's going to be streaming and you're going to be able to call up any game you want and put it up in three boxes on your TV or whatever and do all of that. That probably is the future, and it probably yeah. is it, eventually the sports leagues are going to realize that they're going to have to share in some of the upside and the downside because the money that was there to fuel their expansion that came from like cable companies and all of that, it, and like ESPN, bro. is going to dry up, and then you're going to be left with deals like the the Apple deal that the Pac-12 offered. So, yeah. Anyway, that's my I, I'm very sad about it. It's like my childhood was going to football games and it's those same teams. And as of next year, they will all be playing in different places um, and it will be the end of that. It makes me very sad. Um, the, the short version is college football is completely being destroyed by TV money. Eventually, they will realize that they just need to scoop up the 40 best teams, form a, an NFL like entity, get all the money and let all of the other colleges and teams go back to the way it was. But uh, well, it's going to take think, time. It's going to take time. Here's the thing, because I think there's no more interesting story, in my opinion, within streaming and changing media landscape and how long-term effects might be made on current short-term decisions than sports, all of sports, from the yeah. RSN side of the equation with, with the NBA and the MLB, MLB to college football to the NFL going international, all of those stories, because the cable package is only around still because of sports and streaming now needs sports. And so there's this dichotomy. And within the, within the, the, the center of this are the leagues trying to figure out how we make money, for our revenue versus how we continue our reach for the longevity of the sport. So I'm going to put this out there for all of our listeners. I want to do a totally sports corner only episode where we just dive into a lot of the stuff that Jason and I find really Ooh. interesting. But I want to make sure that our listeners are into it, that our listeners are also either sports fans or, they're, or they, they like the idea of sports media or they want to learn more about it or whatever it might be. Let us know on Twitter or at the or via letters when emails when Jason 
reads them out at the end. Yeah, upgradefeedback.com. Let us know if it's something that you're interested in. Up, or not upgradefeedback, downstreamfeedback.com will do it. <laughs> not upgradefeedback. Mike and I would love to hear from you, but that's the wrong podcast. One of the feedbacks. <laughs> downstreamfeedback.com. Yes, indeed. Let us know. But anyway, sigh. I got this. There it was. Uh, but yes, if you've got a question for us, visit downstreamfeedback.com. Love to your mothers. We love to hear from you. We talked so much today that we're not going to get to your letters today, but I've got them. There's some good letters. I've got them saved for next time. If you're not a Downstream Plus subscriber, this will bring us to the end of the show. Every other episode, most of the show is available just for supporters. To support us, go to downstream.plus. You'll get full versions of every episode with no ads, access to the Relay FM Discord, bonus shows from Relay FM. It's just such a great deal. You can find Director of Strategy Julia at parrotanalytics.com and puck.news. Puck just keeps breaking news, by the way. If you're interested in the entertainment industry, especially, you gotta you gotta sign up for Puck. It's uh, very good. And then you'll get Julia's column every week. You can find me at sixcolors.com. I appear on many other podcasts everywhere, including here at Relay FM and over at theincomparable.com. That's it for this week, but we'll be back in two weeks with yet another start our next 50 next time. Until next time, thank you all for listening. Julia, say goodbye. Bye, everyone.